Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they'd like to put in a time capsule. That's why we called it My Time Capsule, although maybe we should have called it Your Time Capsule. Never mind, too late now. Anyway, they pick four things that they really cherish from their life, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to get rid of, something they want to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest today is best known for playing Fonzie's girlfriend in Happy Days. She played the unforgettable Helen Beasley, who was Pam's mum and dated Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, in the American version of The Office by Ricky Gervais and Steve Merchant, and Elizabeth Gaines in Homeland. She is the American actress Linda Pearl. She's been in loads of films since her first film in 1970 and over 80 television shows, including Hawaii Five-O, The Waltons, Eleanor and Franklin, Serpico, The Last Days of Pompeii, The Love Boat, can you believe it? Alfred Hitchcock Presents, Murder, She Wrote, a number of times, Robin's Hoods, Born Free, Bones, Desperate Housewives, True Blood, Reckless, Code Black, The Oath with Sean Bean, and Designated Survivor with Kiefer Sutherland, to name but a few. I was lucky enough to be introduced to Linda by the actress Tracy Bennett and was able to get hold of her while she was on tour with Patrick Duffy, who played Bob Ewing in Dallas, among other things. More of that later. We were supposed to record this episode in the morning, but there was a panic as Linda and Patrick had moved into their latest digs on their tour and realised they had given the wrong address to the Sainsbury's delivery man. Oh, the glamour of touring. So here is the lovely Linda Pearl. Later that same day, groceries safely delivered with the five things she'd like to put in her time capsule. 
So how's the tour going? Are you having fun? Yes, we are. It's been such a privilege. The most beautiful theaters. And also it's been a push physically. Mm. Not doing the plays so much, but just moving once a week. That's the exhausting thing, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just figuring out the microwave and another bed and another bed and... But we're in it together, which I think makes it much easier and much more fun. I mean, we have laughed ourselves silly. <laughs> I mean, this morning when I sent the groceries to the wrong address, we, you know, we did find them. Is that you and Patrick? Yes, yes. Mm. Well, I should imagine audiences are excited. Yes, I think they are. You know, I, well, that's the other thing to be doing theater now. I mean, we were going to do a tour of a different play for Bill Kenwright, who we adore. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit. So this was the first moment we could do it. But now with the the huge swing in the economy with the Ukraine war on top of everything, I mean, theaters are closing. A lot of these stores are being pulled from the road because suddenly the fiscal model is just not sustainable. People are scared. People aren't buying theater tickets. So I feel like, I mean, we're going to finish the tour. We only have three weeks to go, but I feel like this was the only window in which a tour of this size could have happened. I mean, it couldn't have happened sooner. And now it's probably going to be a few months or whatever before something like this happens again, where someone is willing to take the risk to send shows out. Yeah, I know a lot of people who are touring and they're playing the same tour almost that they did three years ago, saying, well, three years ago, every theatre sold out. And this time, half, three quarters. Yeah. You know, so people are holding back, I think, understandably. Absolutely. But it's tough for theatres, tough for the profession. It is. And doing a comedy, this is a murder mystery, comedy thriller piece. It's fun. You go into the bubble of this play and it's two hours of just fun. Mm. And you, you feel that sense of celebration with the audience. So that's also been a real bonus for the, for the experience of the tour. Do you like doing comedy? I mean, you were brilliant in The Office. Uh, thank you. Well, I do. I do. And especially for a live audience, it's it's such a lesson. You know, you do it with your elbow one way, you get the laugh and you with the elbow the other way and you don't get the laugh. And so just the quixotic nature of it, the timing, the playfulness. The other thing is that playing as many cities as we have, we have felt at some level the cultural shift between various towns. Mm. Some towns are absolutely party towns. And others, they have a more cerebral lens on life, and you feel that. And, that, you know, it's all good. This is not to make any kind of a judgment call. but No, it's interesting to try and gauge those differences, isn't it? You bet. You bet, yeah. Yeah, I like touring. Apart from, as you say, every Sunday or maybe Monday morning, you, you get in the car and you go to the next place. I thought we were going to be on the American schedule, which is you do a Sunday matinee that finishes out your eight shows. You're off Sunday, the rest of Sunday. You're off all day Monday. And then you swan into the next town on, you know, Tuesday tea time and go to work. Mm. Not the case here. So there is no day off. No, it makes more sense, though, the American system, because people are probably going to go to the theatre on a Sunday more than they'll go on a Monday night. Certainly so in the States. But I think maybe with the tradition of the Sunday lunch here, they don't. I'd be the last person to know. And we've loved the Sunday. That's been our habit now. We pack up Sunday morning and we get halfway to where we're going. And we pong into some, you know, the dog and partridge inn or the cock inn or whatever it is. We have a great Sunday lunch and tend to be a part of the neighborhood. So it's been fun. I'd like to see the looks on the faces of people when you walk in. 
Sometimes, mm. sometimes they'll go, they'll sort of go and then oh, surely not. And they go back to their Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> <laughs> That's very English, yes. Uh, how lovely. So anyway, this podcast, it's a look back at things that you treasure from your life. So four things that you treasure enough that you'd like to have them in a time capsule. Oh, yes. And one thing that when you look at it, you think, I wish I could forget that. Yeah. So have you had a thought about them? I have. I've got my list. I'm looking at my list. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start with what the first one is then. It has to be the day my son was born. I mean, even with the labor pains, the thing about labor pains is that it hurts. You know, that's the understatement. (laughs) But, you know, it's such a healthy thing and the outcome is going to be so wonderful that it really doesn't matter. And what they say is true. You do forget about them. So, Michael, you'll know that when you're pregnant and you're giving birth. Don't worry about it. It's all good. It's just work. That's all it is. (laughs) Well, I've sat and watched it. Well, I've watched it. <laughs> I've watched it happen, and I'm amazed that anybody allows anybody near them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but the downbeat of that wonder and the privilege of being a mother—I mean, it's the biggest privilege of my life. And I got lucky. I had a healthy, bouncing baby boy, and who's grown up to be this wonderful man. And mm. so, just to have—well, the privilege—I I can't overstate it. No. That's the day. That was the turning point. Wonderful, magical day. And all in a day. All in a day. <laughs> yeah. It was a long day, but it, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What's your son's name? Lucius. Lucius. His father is English. Right. And so he's actually Lucius the 17th. Really? <laughs> yeah. Long line of Luciuses. And what does he do, Lucius? He was a footy. He was. He had a passion for football since he was about the size of the ball. And he he followed that. He actually came over to to England, went to the University of Leeds into a soccer a football program there mm-hmm. and went pro. He he played semi-pro up in the north and over in Spain. And then he went pro with the Drahida United over in Ireland and just loved it. He had four wonderful, wonderful years here. And thanks to Bill Kenwright, Bill, who's our producer on this tour over here, Bill had very kindly sent some players out to see Lucius and he was granted a tryout with Everton, which was a real highlight. He didn't make the team, but he acquitted himself well and got an agent out of that and got to go pro then. Wow. And I think at about 22 or 23, he thought, you know, I'm the solid journeyman player, but his friends back in the States were now starting to graduate from college and go into the workforce. And he just didn't want to be coming out of football at 35 or sooner with an injury and playing catch up. And so he made that excruciating choice actually to hang up his, his cleats. And uh, <laughs> so he went into the business side of showbiz and he worked at an agency for a while and then was working with development at Paramount. Anyway, for the last year and a bit, he's been the production coordinator for Jamie Foxx's production company, which he just loves. Yeah. And of course, as we know, he sports gives you so many life skills. So none of the hours or games or working out or discipline or friendships or, you know, tough breaks and, and happy days from football went to waste. All of that has translated into extraordinary business skills and intuitions and just that willing to take a shot. And also that maturity of uh, 23, 24, suddenly saying, Mm. do you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to quite be what I hoped I'd be, but I've had a great time and I'm going to move on. I don't think many footballers make that decision. Yeah, it was, it was hard. There were a lot of tears, but it was, 
Yeah, he he knew it was never going to be Ronaldo. He was going to be a solid journeyman player. He had contract offers on the table, but it, he wasn't going to be that guy at the World Cup. So they thought, okay. Oh, very close, though. Close. <laughs> That's not bad, is it? I played on the football pitch at Everton about three weeks ago. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I know. I'm still hobbling. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I've got a friend who's a a big Everton fan, but also, fortunately, has enough money to hire Goodison Park for the day. And so we went and played football. Crazy. Oh, what a blast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Beautiful. Good for you. I was useless. <laughs> I'm sure you weren't. I'm sure you're being modest. And Bill was the man who got me my equity card when I was a very young man. He is very godfather for so many people. Mm. He just seems to make a habit of moving people's lives along. I've never met anyone like him. His loyalty, his passion, his courage. His devotion. Yes, in the theatre and also with Everton. He's put up with quite a lot of difficult days there. Yeah, very. When he could just walk away, just go, okay, forget it. Totally. And the same with theatre. When you say the courage of somebody to put this tour on now when it might be difficult, you know, and things aren't as easy as they could be, that's a sign of someone who does it because they have a passion for it. They're not thinking about the money particularly. Yes. I hope someone writes the book, makes the movie. He's, um, He's one of a kind. Yeah, Well, I'll try and get him on here one day. Oh, yes. Yeah, it would be fascinating, don't you think? He's had the most amazing life. Yes. I mean, right from actually being an actor himself in Coronation Street years and years ago. Self-made man. Yeah, always interesting, those people, because you think, well, where did that drive come from? Mm -hmm. Where did that determination and that love? Where do you develop that love of theatre? Extraordinary. Yes. All right, well, I'm going to take... That difficult, painful day with the most fantastic reward at the end of it. Yep. The birth of Lucius, and we're going to put that into the time capsule if that's your first item. Okay, so what's the second thing? Another one is just a fantasy day. I Years ago, a, a friend of mine, who's a horseback rider, and I'm not a good rider, but I you know, spent some time in the saddle, <laughs> mentioned that she had been to New Zealand, and they were galloping down the beach, and at some point they took a hard right and went into the water, and she was on her horse, swimming in the water and I thought that's for me that I want to do that so I was shooting in Jamaica terrible film but I'd never been to Jamaica so I said yes yeah and I had a day off and sure enough found a place to you know you could go horseback riding so off we went my guide and myself off through the jungle and we're chatting and you know there are the snakes hanging from the trees and the god knows what and there are the alligators in the pond over there and now we're coming along the beach And he says, do you want to go swimming with your horse? I said, you bet. So we got back to the stable. We threw the saddles off and oh my goodness. And we're going down, down the beach and we pulled a hard right and the water was calm. It was beautiful. There was a storm way off in the distance, this sort of sliver of pearl gray. I mean, you couldn't paint a more beautiful picture. And the horse was you know, walking on the water and I'm looking down through the clear water and I'm seeing my horse's hoof step over the starfish, step over the chunk of corals. I mean, we're already in a fairy tale. And then you're suddenly weightless. What happens is you're holding on to the mane Mm. and your body just lifts off of the horse. So there's a few inches of water between you. Now you're kind of Superman style. Your spine is parallel to the horse's spine and the horse is working. 
oh, and you feel this, oh, the power of that body churning the water, doggy paddle, you know, and we're headed out to, I don't know, what would have been down there, South America, <laughs> fine by me. And I just remember saying, oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> it's just, it was exquisite. It was bathtub water. And we must have gone out for, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Not a word between us. And the horse's ears are pointing towards the water, pointing back at me. We are in sync. We are in tune. And this distant storm now is upon us, but with no trauma. It was just sprinkling little drops of rain, which looked like diamonds with the silvery light now. They would just plink on the water all around us. It was soft, gorgeous, falling diamonds. And at some point, you know, we pulled the rain and, and headed back, headed back to shore. But it was everything about it was magical. The the majesty of this beast who seemed to be enjoying the experience and to be in that massive embrace of Mother Earth. Anyway, it ended too soon. And if someone said that I could go back to Jamaica and, and just be there for an hour to do that, I'd be on the next plane. <sighs> it was great. What do you mean you're not a writer? <laughs> oh, goodness. That was the most beautiful description. Oh, thank you. Thank I you. I could absolutely be there. Oh. It's amazing. And you've that sense of being on the horse and then just lifting off as you become buoyant mm -hmm. and being pulled along by holding onto the mane. Mm -hmm. That's magical. Mm -hmm. But I adore the idea that you noticed and that the horse itself noticed other creatures on the seabed and, and avoided them. He did. He Isn't did. By accident or otherwise, I'd like to think it was, you know, purposefully. But you Well, know. I think it almost certainly was. I mean, even if it was self-preservation. Yes, true. Yes. It still shows a care and a realisation of the situation, I think, that is extraordinary, isn't it? My guide, we laughed afterwards because he asked me where I was from. I have a house in Colorado. And he said, oh, cowboys. And he said, those cowboys, they're so silly. They put horses in a ring and they have to work so hard to break them. He said, all you have to do is get a horse out into the water and they will listen to you. He said, you know, 45 minutes in the ocean and they're broken. They're trained. <laughs> I can imagine Having done that, then that mutual trust that you have in that situation yes. as well, that must have an effect on an animal's attitude towards you. Yes, I think so. I think so. The great thing about it is, of course, is the horse doesn't know if you can swim or not. <laughs> they, yeah, maybe they just assume they can't so you can too. Got to look after you, but I don't know, maybe. Mm -hmm. But you would look at a horse and you would go, that's not going to swim. Not possible. Yeah. Not possible. <sighs> No, great big hefty body, mm -hmm. these incredibly powerful legs, but it just seems there's got to be some sort of paddle there, surely, you would think, mm -hmm. for it to work. But no, as you say, those amazing legs powering through. Yes. Incredible. Yeah, it was it was great. Right. I'm, I'm just going to book a flight. Hang on a minute. Please do, yeah. New Zealand or Jamaica? I'm... I've been to New Zealand. I've never been to Jamaica. I don't know why. Much closer for me. Indeed. How long ago was that? <sighs> Not long before the pandemic. So, so odd time now. I can't tell the difference between four years and 10 much anymore. So <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to say four years ago. Okay. So we could find that really crap film then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Please don't. I want to. <laughs> okay. I'll avoid that. 
But what a wonderful thing. Thank you so much for that. It's completely lifted my spirits. Good. Right, okay, that goes into the time capsule. Okay, it's time for a short ad break, because that's the rules. But we'll be back very soon. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back to My Time Capsule with Linda Pearl. Let's find out what else she'd like to preserve in her time capsule and the things she'd like to bury and forget. This next one is sort of a variation on the same theme, only because it had to do with being in nature. And I, this is, this is many years ago now. I had gone to the Himalayas to trek, not to climb. I'm, I'm not a climber. I was the person, you know, you stand and you look at Everest and go, really nice, but I didn't feel any calling to climb it. No. But to do some hiking, you bet. So I was there with my girlfriend and we had wonderful Sherpas and just the two of us. And we were trekking for a month. And it was really something to move through life just at the pace your feet could take you for a whole month, Mm. as opposed to jumping on a subway, getting on a plane, driving your car somewhere in Los Angeles at 60 miles an hour. None of that. It was just you, your feet, your own power, your own steam. So, And the sites that we were seeing, we'd climb through various villages and get further and further away from civilization and stunning. But there was one day we went across a pass called the Gosaikunda Pass, which is about 15,000 feet. And the monsoons that year came early, which meant at that level that it was snowing pretty unexpectedly, but it was longer to go back than forward. So we had to, we had to press on. And I'd had Chain Stokes breathing the night before, um, which is not fun. I don't even remember exactly what it is, but it's your heart rate and your breathing. It's all wrong. And you know, mm. it doesn't feel good. Massive headache. And uh, was that to do with altitude? Altitude, altitude. Yeah. Mm. Even at that point, even though I was pretty well acclimated, but I, anyway, that was the, the situation, but it, it wasn't, it was just very uncomfortable. It wasn't debilitating. Mm. Only thing to do was to head over the pass. So we take a step, take a couple of breaths, take another step, take a couple of breaths. And it's, pelting everything. We're freezing. We're ugh, miserable. But it was just one of those moments where you had to muster up some form of resiliency. And, and the only requirement was to keep breathing and to keep moving ahead. Mm. So we got to the top of the pass 
And I looked back over this hard-earned height and the clouds parted for a moment. (laughs) And I could see down the spine of the Himalayas. And we were largely above the clouds. I'm just trying to conjure the picture up in my mind now. So several, you know, with some layers of clouds now below us with these, this silvery white crystalline spine disappearing into the distant horizon with this shock of the bluest blue sky I had ever imagined. And as painful as it was to get to that point, it was worth it. And for a moment, I thought, oh, I see why people like to climb mountains. Not so I wanted to do it again. But um, anyway, it was just a moment. That's all it was because you had to keep moving because you had to had to get down. That was, you know, safety was at a, at a lower altitude, certainly for myself, just a little more oxygen. But it felt like some version of heaven there, uncomplicated by anything human. There was no side of any civilization besides our little pod of people. And we were together, but you were also alone because mm. nobody could get you there or out of there, but yourself, theoretically. Mm. And everybody had to be in some form of meditative state to draw on whatever strength or something you, you, know, you, you had. Mm. So I, I suppose it, it felt like some sort of a a holy moment or a, a, a sacred moment, you know, because mm. you were very aligned with your own being at that point at a very fundamental level, not with any doctrine in mind, just mind, body, spirit. And to be in that state and to see that postcard of extraordinary beauty is a place I can revisit in my mind. How lovely. Now, When I do this podcast, Mm -hmm. people seem to fall into different categories. And one of the categories that people very rarely fall into is that they pick experiences rather than things. Oh, okay. Yeah, (laughs) and that is absolutely an option. One that I make a point of telling people about. You know, this doesn't have to be an object. And yet some people go, no, I I want things. Whereas you absolutely don't. And maybe that says something about you. Maybe it says that you're not a person who's bothered by possessions and actual things. The things that you really treasure are the things you've done. You know, maybe it's a function of age. Now that I'm 102, I think <laughs> you sort of realize what really matters or what lasts. I mean, I'm not above a bobble or two, believe me. <laughs> but sure, those are the things. In the, I mean, I'll bring our darling girl up here, Tracy Bennett, who I adore, who brought us together here. Mm. I mean, come on. Do you want, you know, a mink coat or do you want a night out on the town with Tracy Bennett? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, down, it's crazy. Oh, my God. What a dame. What a broad. What a talent. Yeah, fantastic. How did you meet you and Tracy? We met in Los Angeles. We were introduced at a friend's dinner party. And I honestly, I don't remember really anybody else who was there except Tracy because we were like, hi, where have you been all my life? <laughs> and we just we chatted and I'm sure we drank far too much. And then we've just been able to meet up in New York and in London, again, in Los Angeles. I'm desperate to get her to come out to Colorado. Mm. And at some point in this gypsy life, we realized we were both going to be in Toronto. Not only that, at the same time, not only that, they had us staying in the same crappy apartment house, (laughs) two floors up or two floors down or whatever. So none of us, we didn't get any sleep at all. We just chatted. (laughs) Yeah, we had pajama parties at night. We had coffee in the morning. And I would say that was when, because we had about a week of this, 
that was when we really were able to talk and then go deeper and talk some more and go deeper. We talked about all kinds of things about, of course, the business and being actresses, but about romance and about God and is there a God? And- yes, it's great, isn't it, that it throws up those opportunities every now and again, yeah. usually because people are telling you to wait. Can you just wait a bit? And we'll, we'll come <laughs> and get you in a minute. And you go, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when people start talking. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. That's right. And I think, too, we were both on location. She didn't have her house and friends and whatnot to go off to, nor did I. And for whatever reason, we both seemed to have a few days off that synchronized nicely. Mm. So we had that little bubble of time, but we've been friends, I want to say, for about 10 years now. And I, I just adore her. Yes, I've got a number of friends in the business that have developed for exactly that situation where you're just thrown together mm-hmm. and you start talking and then you think so far. I, I should have known this person all my life. Yeah. It feels as if you have. That's right. Very treasured memories. I've only ever suffered altitude sickness once in my life. And interestingly enough, in Colorado, Keystone, Colorado. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Which is high. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's a beautiful... Were you skiing there? Was yes, I was. Oh, Not a lot. I was mostly sitting down going, oh my God, I feel sorry. sick. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's <laughs> such a drag. No, there's really, you can't really prepare for it. It's something either your, you know, your body will give you that altitude or not. My house is at 6,000 feet. So I feel it the first couple of days I'm back. Yeah, I bet. Wow. That's only a little bit below where we were. Mm-hmm. You live up in the mountains. Then. I do. I mean, now I do. We, I mean, I, now that Patrick and I are together, we're sort of living all over the place, but, um, I had been living in New York, which I loved, but the pandemic really brought that to a close. Mm. I mean, I thought I'd just go home for a couple of months and or to Colorado for a couple of months, but then it became obvious that New York was really not going. I mean, I, I couldn't do any of the things that one couldn't do any of the things that you like to do in this. You couldn't see your friends, couldn't go to restaurants, couldn't work, couldn't sing, couldn't do, I mean, nothing, nothing. It was the dark ages overnight. I'm mm. sure just like London. Yeah. So anyway, that sort of jettisoned me out of living in New York. And I will always go back and have time there. But Very nice, though. Colorado, it's, it's such a huge place, America. It's, um, I mean, you probably don't think of it that way, but for an English person going there, you just can't believe the size of it. It's pretty big. Well, now we, we've driven a little over 1,700 miles here in the UK, going uh, right, north okay. to south to west to east, back to east, back to south, up to north again. So we've been able to cover some tracks, but yes, I mean, one of the things that we've noticed uh, in our you know, infinite ignorance is how you never really leave town. I mean, you might for half an hour or something, but I mean, in the States, you can go a day and see a couple of cars, mm. a couple of lizards. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, there are vast stretches that are beautiful, but uninhabitable even, especially in the, in the West and the South. Mm. So or through the deserts. Yes. Yeah. I mean, even when you go up into the wilds of Scotland and places like that, beautiful. But even there, you'll never be more than an hour no. away from something. Mm-hmm. We had a week off here a little while ago, and it was so much fun just to be able to get on a train and go to Amsterdam. I mean, that, the luck over here, the luxury of being able to just go to Paris or go to, I mean, everything is so close and we mm. don't have to come a long way. <laughs> yes. Not as easy as it was a couple of years ago, I have to say. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, darn sadly. It. Yeah. But uh, yes, it was. I'm, I once had lunch in Bologna. Fabulous. Mm. I like your life. 
<laughs> but that's the sort of thing you should do in life, I think, if you get the chance. Yeah. Somebody said, it's my birthday and I'm having lunch in Bologna this week because he was in Italy. And he said, do you want to come out? I said, I can't really. I'm working the day before. And he said, well, come out in the morning and go back in the evening. Yes. So I did. Exactly. Don't you know it? You know, you remind me of a, this is at a point in my life, not that many years ago, everybody was dead or grown up, which I wasn't used to. I was always used to have to cook the broccoli for somebody. And a friend of mine said, oh, I'm doing a show in Vienna and come to the opening. And I said, oh, I can't. Wait a minute. (laughs) I can. And just to take that opportunity, why not? I mean, go. Yes, absolutely. Well, if anything has been learned through the process of us not being allowed to go anywhere, it's that we should take the opportunity to go places when we can. That's right. That's right. Patrick's and my motto has become, if not now, when. Very good. Speaking of Patrick, my fourth has all to do with Patrick. It was the first time he said, I love you. <sighs> it was just, it was, what? It was such a, it was a shock for him and for me. It was over Zoom at the beginning of the pandemic. We had bumped into each other a few months beforehand at some function. Hadn't seen each other in 20 years. And he had gone out of touch with a close mutual friend who I was about to see in New York a few days later. And I said, well, I'll reconnect you. Anyway, that's why I, we had each other's contact information. And so we emailed, happy Christmas, no big deal, nothing. But he was going to be coming through New York for some work. But then the pandemic. So we texted or FaceTimed about that. Isn't this strange? And that evolved into an occasional Zoom. And before long, we were Zooming every night for two to three hours and just saying, well, if this thing ever ends and if we're ever both in Los Angeles, let's grab a drink at some point. But after a couple of months of this, the door suddenly sort of opened into the possibility of something more than a a friendship. And one night as we're signing off, Patrick said, okay, see you tomorrow. Love you. It's like, what? (laughs) What was that? And suddenly, I mean, the door was more than open. It was, so that was, it was, I didn't see it coming. Uh, I don't think Patrick did either. He said he was just as stunned that he had said it. It was like, oh no, what did I say? (laughs) How brilliant. And you can understand it though on Zoom because I started this just before the pandemic. And then I continued to do this podcast all the way through I've done a lot of chatting on zoom and it can become very intimate yes I think especially during the pandemic because I don't know about you maybe you had a life during the pandemic but I sure didn't I mean suddenly your days were uh well there was nothing on your to-do list really it wasn't safe to go anywhere so I mean Patrick was in isolation in Oregon I was too in Colorado and so the world had gone away. Mm. And we had nothing but time on our hands. That alone puts you in a kind of reflective state. So being jointly in that state led to conversations. So thank you, pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And how lovely, though, to have known somebody all that time ago and spent time with them and liked them, but never really thinking, well, that's going to go anywhere. And then to discover that actually, given time... Yeah, that's interesting, Michael. Yes, that's right. Yeah. An investment, you know. In yeah, quite. Really. I mean, like a seed planted mm-hmm. that comes to fruition all those years later. All those years. All those years. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it like that. <laughs> oh, no, it's true. It's true. 
I mean, the last time I had seen him, he was doing art in the West End. And I had gone backstage because, well, Richard Thomas was another actor who's a dear friend. And I was over here, went to see him, and it went backstage. It was like, hey, Patrick, nice to see you. And Richard and I went out to dinner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when Patrick and I were in London a month or so ago, we, we walked past the theater and thought, oh, my goodness, it was sort of a quantum moment. Could we yeah. ever have imagined 20 odd years ago <laughs> at this spot? I know. And then you do wonder about those sliding door moments, don't you? That, that say, Richard had said to him, oh, Patrick, do you want to join us? Absolutely. And over that dinner table, you'd gone, wow, I never saw yep. you this way. Yep. Or, in fact, if he'd left you and said, right, bye, Linda, bye, love you. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I should definitely put that into the time capsule as a beautiful fourth thing. I really can't think what you're going to put in that you'd like to get rid of. Oh, well, you know, when you told me the list, I thought, well, that's hard. How do you? But it it was surprisingly, they came to mind relatively quickly, especially this one, the one that I wanted to forget. You think that childhood trauma doesn't stay with you, but apparently it does because Mm -hmm. memory for me was... And it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing. And believe me, there's a long list. This could be a very, very, very long list. <laughs> could be other about things in the time capsule. But for purposes of brevity, I must have been five years old, and I grew up in Tokyo. So there was we family was a member of the Tokyo American Club, where I would go. I would be sent during the summers. In the, in the morning, I would have swimming class and then ballet class. And then I'd have bowling class or maybe just swimming and then either ballet or bowling. Mm. And I was responsible for packing my little go to the club bag. So I had packed my bathing suit and my little bathing cap. I'm sure my flip flops and my sundress. I forgot my underpants, which wasn't a problem until it came for bowling class. Oh, and the way we were taught, because you're I mean, the bowling ball was the size of most of your body. (laughs) And you waddle up to the top of the lane there and you have to bend over and throw your bowling ball. And it was, I remember thinking, I didn't want to disobey the t-shirt, but I had no underpants on. So I had to squat into the most horrible position to try to then maintain my modesty and usher this bowling ball. I mean, I'm sure I was hyperventilating. I mean, it was just the conundrum of wanting to be, you know, feeling so stupid because it was entirely my fault and how embarrassed I was going to be and was in the moment. And how do you, you know, maintain? I think it was maybe my first real encounter with the feeling of shame. Right. That was the residence. It's not a feeling that any one of us enjoy. It's part of the human condition. And that was my first full-on encounter with self-inflicted shame. Yes. Isn't it funny, though, as a child that you don't just turn around and say, actually, do you know what? I can't do this. I've forgotten to bring my pants with me. I think now you would. You would say, I can't do this. I haven't got any pants. But as a child, you desperately try to fit in and do what people want you to do. Yes. But as you get older, you realise, do you know what? I can't do this. I think the phrase, I can't do this, I haven't got any pants. (laughs) It suits most situations, really. That's right. Oh, dear, you poor little thing. Bless you with your little bag. Well, then we'll put that in there and that's you don't have to think about that. Anymore. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I like that. It's yes. gone. It's gone from your life. That trauma's <laughs> over. But how lovely. I mean, I have to say, I would love to now 
get on a horse and go into the sea. I really love the idea of trekking through the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always quite fancied Patrick. <laughs> but yeah. I, I certainly don't want to give birth. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to say, Linda, it's been really gorgeous to talk to you. Thank you so much for thank doing you, this. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. And as we're on Zoom and we're coming to the end, thank you very much and I love you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Love you back. <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my wonderful guest, Linda Pearl. I hope you enjoyed this episode and fancy bareback riding in the sea. Of course, if you did, then we have 200 others available to listen to on the podcast provider of your choice, where you can always rate the show, for which we are very grateful, and sometimes even review it or write a comment, for which we are deeply grateful, as it means you thought it was worth giving up your time to say something nice about us. I hope. For those of you with venom in your pen, then, as Ronan Keating so rightly said, you say it best when you say nothing at all. Do follow me or my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook so you can keep up to date about our guests and, if you want to, contact us with any questions you may have or even suggest a future guest for us to chat with. Don't bother suggesting the Queen, I've asked. She's busy. However, let's not be downhearted. You can always listen to the theme tune on Spotify. It's called My Time Capsule, The Theme Tune. Yes, that's how inventive we are. It was written by Pass the Peas Music. This podcast was edited and produced by John Fenton Stevens and is a cast-off production for Acast. Right, I'm off to smarten myself up. Linda was so elegant that I felt a right scruff. And she's just on tour in digs. (laughs) She even told me her shoes were Jimmy Choo's. Of course, he'll be furious when he finds out they're missing. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.